Today our text comes to us from Romans chapter 4 as we answer that question, what does it mean to be justified? How is somebody justified? Romans chapter 4, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The right justification. We love to be right. Right now, there are spouses in the room thinking, I am so grateful for this message to be heard <laughs> by my spouse. But we love to be right. We long to be right. We like to justify what we've done. Right? The ends justify the means. That's, that's kind of the, the, the motto that many people walk through, but Paul teaches us today that we are justified, that we are made right with God, not by our actions. If we were justified by our actions, then no one would stand a chance. Today we learn that in fact it is the sinner who repents and believes in the forgiveness earned for them by Christ who is counted as being righteous. Now, whenever we throw around a lot of big church words, it's always a good idea to define what it is that we are talking about. So when we talk about this word justification, I want us all to have a good working knowledge of what that word really means. To be justified is a, a legal metaphor borrowed from the justice system. It means to be declared just or innocent, that you declare somebody to be righteous. Now, like I said before, we have a yearning and a hunger to be right. And I would argue that we have a need to be right because originally humanity was created right. I mean, we were, we were made without sin. We were created right. But then as soon as the fall happens, immediately we start justifying ourselves. Right, we hear that in, in Adam's words, as God is questioning Adam, why did you eat from the fruit of the tree that I told you not to? Adam's first words are justifying, it was the woman you gave me. 
Oh, we justify all day long. But our justification is misplaced. I'm going to give you uh, two wrong answers before I give you the right answer. Because I think in this question about how is somebody justified, as much as we like to say the words that we're saved by grace through faith, Sometimes we have this feeling in the back of our head that it is actually does have something to do with how well we act. That somehow God's favor is received more and more if we're better people, if we follow the Ten Commandments, if we go to church, we pray, we read God's Word, surely that earns some kind of favor from God. Now, it's, it's really nice of Paul. He gives us two different case studies, both with Abraham and with David. But because tradition says I can't preach for longer than 25 minutes, we're going to go with just one of those. We're going to talk about just Abraham. Those waiting for uh, kickoff are like, whew, thanks. <laughs> Paul writes this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Now, it's fun for me to think about the, the conversations that God had with Abraham. Let me, let me like rewind all the way back into the book of Genesis to give just a little bit of a snapshot of who Abraham was. So Abraham has this life, and he's, got, he's surrounded by friends, surrounded by family, and God comes up to him and says, Abraham, I want you, I want you to move. Okay, where do you want me to move? I'll let you know when you get there. <laughs> okay. Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of an entire nation of people. Okay, God, I'm, I'm getting up there in years. When is that going to happen? I'll let you know. And then finally, Abraham, when you have a son, I'm going to ask you to sacrifice him for me. You see, God... One after another keeps asking Abraham to do crazy, ridiculous things, and Abraham, God bless him, he does them. Now, it's important to remember what's happening here because God, the creator of the world, is speaking directly to Abraham. Now, remember, my word, it doesn't have power. Your words, they don't have power. The word of God has incredible power. To not only command, but to empower what he commands. And so the word of God saying, Abraham, I want you to move, is not a suggestion. It's a, okay, let's go. And Abraham has faith in God, not because of who Abraham is as a good guy, but because God, through his word, is imparting faith into Abraham and empowering him to respond. So here's wrong answer number one. Why is Abraham justified? And therefore, we can answer it for ourselves too. Why are we justified? The wrong answer number one is because of his works. Paul says this, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. You see, some of us are, are competitive or maybe just a little bit driven. We long for our accolades 
We long for the, the compliments. We long for people to recognize how special we are. Uh, this this kind of came home for me this, this weekend. On Friday, we had the Sean Metcalf Memorial Golf Tournament, which helped sponsor uh, scholarships for a lot of the, the young people that you see today in their, their singing and in, in the orchestra. The scholarship program helps help students afford this incredible Christian education. And, and I had the, the joy and the pleasure this Friday of getting paid to golf. That's an amazing thing. I was paid to golf. And, and, and I have to confess, humble brag, I was golfing out of my mind on Friday. <laughs> you need to understand, I am not a good golfer. I am subpar. That's, I didn't even mean that to happen. That's irony. I'm a horrible golfer. But Friday, with few exceptions, my golf drives were straight. They were right down the middle. They were on the fairway. I don't know how to golf on the fairway. They were far. And it felt good because there's this really good golfer. Annalise's husband is in the cart with me. And he looks over at me. He's like, what is with you today? That feels good. And then Daniel squares up, and he drives straighter and farther than me. Right? Just, just remember, Ty, you're not that good. And as we're driving up to that ball, I'm remembering there's this amazing thing that God created called the scramble. Right? The best ball tournament, which is beautiful because even though I drove better than I normally do, we had to pick up my ball, drive another 500 miles to get to Daniel's ball. <laughs> but that ball was considered mine because we're playing best ball. But we love to have our good deeds, our good deeds recognized. To have God say, yes, Tyg, you are so much better than most people. In fact, in the, in the plane ride to heaven, God comes up to me in the, in the economy, economy seat where my knees are folded three times just to fit in to the chair, and he says, I want you to come with me. There's some extra seats up front. There's some first-class seats. Only in my pride, I come thinking, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel so good sitting first class. And you get to first class, and first class is already full. Business economy is full. Economy is full. Now, Tig, the only seat really left that you deserve is the lavatory. <laughs> See, our, our good works, Scripture says, are like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of Jesus. We don't compare. There is no way that our works can be considered righteous in front of God. There's no chance. Scripture says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You can't boast in yourself. And we sometimes, I think, as Christians, get this in our head that we're the right denomination. We're the right Christians. We go to church we pray, we read the Bible, surely that earns something with God. 
but our works don't. They just don't. They can't. They don't measure up. In fact, Abraham himself, he's, a, he's the father of Israel. And Paul says, not even Abraham can boast. And you have to go back into the Old Testament to remember why, because not only was, was Abraham just a person, a human, he was a broken, fallen person. Because in this process of, of God saying, Abraham, I want you to move to someplace I'll tell you later. And Abraham's in this journey with God, wandering through. He is with God, the creator of the world, and full of fear. Because every time he comes into somebody else's territory where there's some king in power, Abraham, out of fear, tells his wife Sarah, who is stunningly beautiful, if people know that you're my wife, they'll kill me for you. Tell everybody you're my sister instead. Who does that? Abraham has nothing to boast for. He gives up his wife for his own safety. This is not a righteous man. So it can't be his works that God looks at him and says, you are righteous. So that's wrong answer number one. Wrong answer number two is a little bit easier to get to from a logic standpoint, at least maybe for Christians. Wrong answer number two goes like this. Well, God has given me this gift of faith, and this gift of faith has transformed my life so that I can follow the Ten Commandments better, so that I can live out His law more closely, so that I can please God with my actions. Do you see what I did there? It was the faith that God gave me that empowers me then to live in such a way that God is proud of me. That's an easy place to get to. But still wrong. That's not, that's not how this works. It's not our own actions that make us stand right before God. It never has been and never can be. To understand that, we look back at what Paul points out with Abraham, and he says, was Abraham considered justified before or after his circumcision? Right? Circumcision, that was an act, a work that we would do to remember the covenantal promise of God to make an entire nation out of one man, Abraham. Abraham was circumcised after he had faith, not before. Even more, if we think about Abraham living out the law, it's impossible because the law came through Moses, who was a part of the nation of Israel, who was a, a great, 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 descended from Abraham. See, the law came after Abraham. It was impossible for Abraham to keep the law. And yet still, Abraham was considered justified. How has that happened? Well, instead of wrong answer number one and wrong answer number two, we have to go to God's answer, God's answer number three. And this is what God says. This is in verse three. For what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I love this. What does Scripture say? This Greek word for the word say is very interesting because it means to break the silence. 
and out of the silence of our guilt, God's word says. And God speaks grace into our life. Out of the silence of our guilt, God says, I forgive you. I wash you clean. My sin covers, my sin is covered by the righteousness of Christ. Out of the silence of our sin, God speaks love. It says Abraham's belief was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith, the trust that he placed in God, not of his own doing, but empowered by the Holy Spirit to grab a hold of and receive that promise God gave him and to trust in it. This is Genesis chapter 15, first book of the Bible. And God gives this promise to Abraham. And this, this, is, what, this is what Scripture says. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. It's not as if this whole faith gift salvation thing is a New Testament idea. This is not God's plan B because we messed it all up. This is God's plan A from the very, very beginning. That faith is counted to you as righteousness. Faith is counted as righteousness. That means that faith in and of itself is not righteousness, but God considers it so. He declares it so. He says, I am going to treat faith just like I would treat perfect righteousness. In the real estate world, sometimes you can do something that's called rent to own. And if you are renting to own, it gives you this option that you are a renter for the first season of that house. You are renting. It is not your house. You are paying the owner so that you can live in his house. And say you've rented to own for 15 years. And at the end of that 15 years, you say, you know what, I, I think I like this place. <laughs> I'd like to be here longer than 15 years. In fact, I'd like to not just pay somebody else to live in this house. I would like this house to be my house. And then you remember, I'm renting to own. And you talk to the owner and you go, you know what, I, I'd, I'd like to buy this house. And the owner, being so ridiculously generous, says, you know what, for the last 15 years, you have paid me rent. I'm going to count every single one of those rent checks as mortgage payments. I am going to count to credit all of those payments you've made already as mortgage payments. This house is yours. See, when Jesus looks at you and he sees the faith that he has given to you and he knows that you hang on to that faith, that you trust in his promise to forgive, to make new, to bring back alive, and he says, I am going to count that, not your behaviors, I am going to count that faith as righteousness, but not just any old righteousness, the best righteousness, the gold standard of righteousness. I am going to count that as the righteousness of Jesus himself. Jesus, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world 
who never once in his entire life sinned, not even came close. God the Father, he looks at you and sees the faith the Holy Spirit has given to you. Even the faith isn't the work that you have done, but done by God. And he says, I'm going to take that faith and I'm going to consider it, count it as the righteousness of Jesus. And all of a sudden, you are taken from sinful and broken and elevated to the point of perfection like Jesus, not in how you act, but how God considers you legally. And you are justified. You are made right with God. You are righteous. That's what he does. And then maybe some of you out there who know God's word really well are saying, yes, but Pastor Tig, what about what James says? When James says, faith without works is dead. Where do works play in if faith without works is dead? But if we take that into context with Scripture as a whole, we understand that if, if, if we do not do works, then what that probably means is that your heart's not awake that the Holy Spirit hasn't stirred in you this transformation yet. But works have nothing, nothing to do with your salvation. You do not do works in order to be saved. You do them because you've been saved. You see, the person who knows that grace that's been poured out on them more than they could possibly deserve, more than they could ever earn, the person who knows that even though they are a broken, sinful person, have been elevated in the eyes of God to the perfection level of Jesus. Oh my goodness, you have a heart for God. And you cry out to God, what can I do to say thank you? How do you give God who has everything, how do I say thank you? And God says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Do good things. Follow my law. Be obedient. Not so that you can be saved, but because you've already been. Because you've already been. Obey my commands. This week, as you spend time with family, as you spend time thinking about this message, I, I want to give you a thought to talk about. This week's weekly awakening thought. Uh, and again, just a reminder, use these around your, your dinner tables, your lunch today would be a good time. Anytime you have family or friends come over, throw this question out. Here's your question this week. How have you tried to justify yourself before God? Have you gone through excuses? Have you tried your very best? Well, this morning, I want you to remember that it's not your own efforts that God's grace has poured out on you. It's by the efforts of Christ living perfectly that his grace has washed over you and justified you. May that bring you a peace that passes all understanding. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.